Welcome to this week's episode of The Modern Good. I'm your host, Busy Gold. Conscious construction starts right now. Hey, hey, everybody. I am here with Joel Brown. He is a master coach, speaker, founder of the number one motivational website, Addicted to Success, which I'm sure you've heard of before. It's achieved over 368 million, yes, million views worldwide. He's been featured in Think and Grow Rich and also the We Rise Up movie with Richard Branson and Tony Robbins. He is a theological student. He also studies human behavior over the last decade and has created 100 plus coaching tools and frameworks to transform your leadership skills and your mindset. He teaches this all in his app platform, Obliss, which is the first personal development and faith-based transformational ecosystem. In recent years, Joel has shifted his focus to bridging the gap between the personal development world and biblical principles to edify the kingdom of God. Thank you for everything that you've been doing in the space. I feel like I have been circling a lot of your business ecosystems now since about 2016 is probably the first time I heard of you. So it's been wonderful to finally make the connection. So welcome to the show. We're really excited to have you. Yes, busy. I'm happy to be on your show. You came out to LA well, like three weeks ago. You jumped on my podcast as well. We got to meet in person. It's always better in person, isn't it? If we can make it happen. I agree. Mm-hmm. I like that we were able to great, create a great connection. I know you and I actually cried a bit on my podcast. It's like true. that was such an emotional experience and so cool. And uh, yeah, I'm happy to, uh, to, to be here. Just thank you for sharing your platform uh, with me today for your audience. I'm excited to connect with you and your audience. Absolutely. It's definitely an honor. And for those of you listening that are shocked and awed that I actually cried, it's true. You're going to have to check out that podcast (laughs) to watch me cry for a second. Got really emotional. It was a very intense pop that came completely out of left field. But that whole podcast episode, I think was, it was awesome. It was one of my favorite podcast experiences that I've ever had. So thank you for being a wonderful interviewer and a wonderful host. So good to hear. I love it. So people, I think, often know of you from a variety of different capacities because you have been very multidisciplinary in what you've done in both the business and the personal development space. When you look back at your career, I think to really kind of center on things, what was the most recent moment that you can come to that led you to this faith position that you find yourself out now? Was there was there some sort of moment that shifted everything or kind of cracked it open for you to see a different trajectory for yourself? Yeah, it's such a great question. If I could isolate a moment or an experience where I felt the biggest shift, it would have to have been eight years ago. I was in Tulum, Mexico. I was on a bachelor and bachelorette trip. There were a group of girls, a group of guys, and every lunchtime we'd meet up throughout the five days that we were there. Uh, I didn't really know too many of the people that were there. I only know a couple of the guys and maybe a few of the girls. And on the third day, uh, when we came together, I met a girl called Tanil, and she's a Christian. I was at a point in my life where I felt pretty empty. You know, I had gone and studied the Kabbalah and the Akashic Records and the Egyptian mysticism and deep in New Age in documentary films, big success with my website, Addicted to Success, speaking on stages with people that 
I guess I used to read their books and watch their videos and listen to their audio tapes when I was younger. So to be, you know, doing all that, five-star hotels, staying in penthouses that would kiss the sunset in the sky and, you know, all the fancy stuff, I, I felt empty. And it was this feeling of nothing could quench my soul. And I shared this with Tanil and she listened and she asked me once I shared all of this, she asked me, do you know Jesus? And I said, well, you know, I was brought up when I was younger in uh, Seventh-day Adventist, you know, which is quite conservative, uh, but I never had church hurt. I actually had a great experience of church, great community experience, not really judgment or anything, a little bit rigid on the religious rules at the time, especially for a teenager. You just don't want anything to do with that. Uh, so I, I didn't necessarily count the whole thing out. I just parked it to the side. And I did say to her, I do remember my mom always telling me that how awesome Jesus is and how much he loves you and that he, he give, he's given you a path and a way to be able to experience more than what we have in this world. So it was a sort of lingering thing that I was experiencing before I came on that trip. But I think Tanil really just ingraining in me that this is something deeper than religion, that it's about relationship. I hadn't heard that before. And that was a game changer for me to hear it in that way. And so she asked, can I pray for you? I was like, okay. So I'm standing out there, you know, waist deep in the water in Tulum, which is an island with a lot of shamans and, you know, chanting and ayahuasca trips and all that other stuff, mushroom ceremonies. False, false light hubs. A lot of false sure. light stuff. Yeah. And, and I was like, you know, waist deep, just hanging with her in that. And she prayed for me. And I felt this peace sweep over me. And... I was sharing a room. All the guys were all kind of sharing a room with three to four guys. We're all splitting like four rooms between 12 guys. And I decided that after that, I was going to go straight back to my room because we're going for lunch. And I was going to pray to Jesus real quick. I hadn't prayed for the longest time. So I rushed ahead of these two other guys, like just legged it, you know, booked it as Americans say. I booked it, got ahead of him. And I got down on my knees in the room real quick because I didn't want anybody to see me. And I was like, Jesus, if you're real. I don't want anything but the truth. I don't care about any religion stuff. I just want the truth. And if you are real, I want you to reveal yourself to me. So I did that and, and, you know, I didn't feel any sort of difference. I was like, okay, cool. I prayed to Jesus. Let's see what happens. Uh, later that day, we had uh, one of the guys in a group said that he wanted to organize a ceremony for the bachelor. And the ceremony was going into a tent with a shaman and they were going to drink some tea and they were just going to have this sort of chanting experience. And, you know, I've been a part of things like that for years before. And they were going around in the group with like 12 of these guys like, okay, who's in? Everyone's like, yes, yes, yes. It gets to me. I said, no, nah, not me. And I can't tell you where it came from. I mean, knowing, knowing where it came from now, it was such a conviction in my body. Like, no, I don't want you to go there. And so I said, no. And everyone was like, what? So can you just imagine these big burly guys like all around me, peer pressure? Like, why not? One guy was like, Joel, you've been a part of all these different things. Like, why not? Are you okay? I'm like, no, nah, just somebody in my spirit is like, don't go. And then they ended up telling the bachelor because they had to tell him because you had to fast before you did it the next day. Mm -hmm. And he came to me. He was one of my good friends. And he's like, why not? And I'm like, bro, I don't know what they're chanting in there. I don't know what spirits they're calling in. I'm not okay with this. And I had never spoken like that before, Busy. I was quite open to all of that, but it was like a knowing that came out of me and it just came out of my lips. And he's like, okay, I don't understand it, but I respect you. And he left me alone. 
And then I just experienced after that incredible things. So I came back to LA, went to this energy healing thing. This guy was trying to do his energy thing. It wouldn't work on me. The Holy Spirit was burning up inside of me, blocking anything from entering into my body. I saw people being possessed. I saw people with the Kundalini spirit passing out. And it was just, it was crazy. And, and I couldn't unsee it. I started noticing all these things around me. And, and you know, one woman that I know, <clears throat> she was having nightmares every night after this energy healing experience. And she couldn't put her finger on it. And I was like, you just let something into your body. All this sort of wisdom started to come through me where it was like the veil was lifted. And it, I really, truly believe that God was allowing me to see it for what it really is. And I started to feel the contrast. Like, hey, this might be posed as light, but it's definitely not. You know, when you got people walking around thinking they're gods and goddesses, something wrong there because I knew in myself that I'm not a god, right? And I started to feel this sort of unattraction. I was sort of turned off from the new age practices and I started seeing what I now know is the sort of foolishness that was going on in those circles. So I just found myself going through a process of burning new age books, just getting rid of them. Uh, I had an opportunity to interview Eckhart Tolle, uh, the author of the power now. I said, no, shut it down. People thought I was crazy. Oh, it's Eckhart Tolle. I'm like, I don't want it. I don't want that stuff on my podcast. I started getting more vigilant about what I wanted in my space and what I was tied to, even on an energetic or spiritual level. I was like, I don't want things in here that are confusing. And I started to find myself drawing closer to God. I started repenting. I started finding myself asking for forgiveness and the things that I never thought were actually wrong. There was this conviction that came through me. And I realized that repentance actually means to change your mind. And I asked God to change my mind. And he did <laughs> in, an, in a radical way. So you brought up something just now that echoes something we talked about on your podcast that I think our listeners will really want to dig into a bit is kind of this concept of confusion. And once you let Jesus into your heart completely and fully the scales come off your eyes and that confusion starts to dissipate right you actually can see with clarity like you said that contrast as this is happening to you can you explain what some of the conviction sensationally might feel like or what sort of thoughts might be accompanying it because i think some people have felt this before and they likely talk themselves down like, oh, I'm just being judgmental. I don't want to like, it's not fair. Like, who am I to tell this person what they're doing wrong? So I think maybe helping people uncover what that rising up conviction felt like and maybe what some yeah. thoughts that would rise up so that people can recognize it. Because I think sometimes people miss conviction rising up naturally in themselves. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think what we do busy, and I know you're like a like me, a bit of like a psychology nerd, human behavior nerd. You like to geek it out with like the oh, yeah. neuroscience understandings. Just, you know, in, in hindsight, looking back at it all with the knowledge that I have now and the insights I have now, uh, I'd say that I was trying to equilibrate. I think I realized how maybe a, a good word to in the way of how I could describe it is I felt ripped off. I felt lied to and ripped off um, with what I was practicing in the new age. And I also understood that it was part of a journey that I was going through to now be able to speak, knowing what it's like to be in that space, to be able to minister to people now. 
Um, but I did really feel like, hey, yeah, this stuff is very deceptive. And I did what most people do when they leave the new age and come into the kingdom. I went on YouTube and I started watching <laughs> uh, everything is 666 videos. And uh, there's a whole, there is a whole, and, and you know, I'm not, I, I'm very open-minded to the fact that there are conspiracy theories out there for sure. Uh, and, and then there's a sort of line, right? You can have extreme views, very extreme ideologies that are dangerous as well. And I, I started to fall into more of the, I guess you could call it like a conspiracy Christianity circles on YouTube. And I was watching a lot of videos about all these people that were leaving the new age. And, and, and I heard people speaking about it in such an extreme way where it was like, you almost start focusing too much on the darkness of everything. Bingo. And, mm -hmm. and that was the equilibrium for me. It was like, I go all the way over there to then find like, okay, well, if I've gone all the way on the left and then all the way on the right, whatever that is, you know, in my sort of thinking new age to Christianity, then where's the sort of middle? Cause I, I, I don't want to completely uh, shut everybody off that's come from that space and be a hater. I want to be able to, to, to talk with people and be able to walk amongst people, but not be of it, right? Because Christ calls us to be in the world, but not of the world. Uh, so I actually met a, a guy who my family knew through their church, and he is awesome. His name is, is Marcos Torres, and... He uh, is. He was preaching in Seventh Day Adventist churches, but he's almost considered so open-minded and so sort of edgy and left of field because he very much is against religious um, trauma and and against the oppression of the religious institutions. And he's very much about having an incredible cosmic relationship with God, like understanding that it's bigger than what we're trying to put him in the box of. And and so I learned how to have a bit more of an equalized view of uh, approaching my walk with Christ. And we actually have created a course together called rest, which is new age to Christianity or new age to Jesus. And it's about coming and finding your rest in Christ. Cause he says, you know, I am the peace that surpasses all understanding, find your rest in me. And that's how it's meant to be. It's meant to be that you come and you rest, you allow for the, not just the redemption that he, he acts upon in your life, but also the restoration, the Holy Spirit to work within you as well, to restore you back to God's original design of who he has created you to be and not the confusing design that the world has, you know, invited you into the allure of it, pulling you left, right and center. So that was a big revelation for me to actually come back to a place of, Hey, I don't need to be like this, you know, hands crossed. Like everything is six, 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 everything. Like everything's a demon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Cause you can get into that sort of spiritist sort of view of it all. And you discount the fact that people do still have trauma. People do still have emotional wounds and they do have thought patterns that aren't serving them and so on. Uh, instead of everything being demonic, because if I came at, at everybody like that, they may shut themselves off from wanting to talk with me. And it's a shame because they may be able to hear the gospel, but they're not now. And then they bucket Christians into the same bucket as they bucketed me. And so I realized that I didn't want that. I didn't want that type of relationship with people. Uh, and, you know, it can still creep in a little bit when you know that you're, you feel so right in something. You can sometimes be a little bit righteous, like self-righteous. Uh, but yeah, that's been my journey now, like just really ministering and talking and working with and meeting people where they're at and, asking them questions too. You know, that's a powerful thing because 
I believe Christ was the greatest coach that ever walked the earth. Amen. You know, there were, there were like maybe 180 something questions that were asked of Jesus. Jesus asked over 326 questions and he only really directly answered about eight of them. So he knew that the, the transformation happens in the questioning and just allowing people to connect the dots to and being the person that they can get that feedback from and, and uh, not always being spoken at. So I'm learning. I'm like you, Busy. I'm still learning and, and I'm sharing what I know and I'm learning from my students as well. You know, I'm learning from the homeless people out on the street as we talked about on my podcast. Is, you know, you can learn it from anywhere. It's crazy. That's so true. I want to double back to a couple of things we just chatted about. So on the podcast that we were on, you tried to tell the story of how being in the false light somehow was that every new book or every new piece of information, it was kind of like this scavenger hunt that never led anywhere. And I don't know if I'm paraphrasing it. Well, that's actually a really great analogy. Right. But it was like everywhere you went, it like opened a door and I just kept opening more doors, but it never felt settled. So kind of tracking with this visual of this like never ending scavenger hunt, I can see the dichotomy or the contrast, if you will, like that next to the rest that people can find in Jesus, right? Where it's this feeling of not just settling as in giving up or being complacent, but like being able to settle because you're whole and complete rather than trying to fill yourself with something to make yourself complete. And I wonder for you making this transition from kind of what you described as this never ending scavenger hunt into rest was there one revelation or like one one concept that allowed you to cross that threshold from striving trying to put pieces in to just ah oh, i can i can just be i don't have to i don't have to strive i don't have to look i can i can sit in place yeah it's a great question i think uh every other thing that i was a part of you know buddhism taoism I lived in Bali, so I was around Hinduism all the time. I would ask questions to the locals to understand it and study it a little bit uh, to get my head around it. And, uh, you know, like even friends that are in Islam, you know, and I studied parts of the Quran as well to understand how to even debate in it. So I studied apologetics mm -hmm. uh, with the Zacharias Institute as well, uh, with Michael Ramsden and, and Ravi at the time. And I approached my walk with Christ still with the same sort of like I need to get all the knowledge, which was what the pursuit was when I was in the new age space. And I think the biggest realization for me was realizing as much as you can have all the knowledge, if the heart hasn't transformed and there's no renewing of the actual mind, all that knowledge doesn't mean anything. It's just more noise, right? And the knowledge becomes useful after the renewing is taking place because we're now looking at it from a different perspective rather than always trying to be the person that has all the information because if i'm trying to bridge my head with the heart and the heart is not in the right place but my knowledge is it still doesn't translate properly and so i had to get to a point even of exhaustion within the early stages of my pursuit of christ to realize that i am saved by grace not because of all the works that I do, not because of all the no more knowledge that I know. I, I can't remember if it was you or if it was another guest that I had on my podcast that said like, if our salvation was based off the knowledge we knew, 
pretty much nobody would really be in heaven because nobody really knows every single like letter and word of the Bible from front to back, back to front, right? If that was the thing I was going to save you, good luck to everyone on earth, you know? Uh, but it's not that. It's it's a gift from God. And I think that was a huge thing. And I realized when I really started to embrace that, I stopped running around in circles trying to understand the concepts of God and trying to get all the information right. I realized I could just stand in Christ, let Him do His work in me, trust that He will. That's not going to happen overnight. Some For some people, maybe it feels like that. But it's not a, such a linear process. It's a, it's, a, it's a process of restoration. And I just stood still instead of running around in circles. And I finally could just grow upwards and grow in Christ. And that was such a peaceful experience to realize that, you know. So I, I got excited realizing that I could be restored more into who he actually designed me to be instead of trying to be somebody in this world. Because social media tells you to be someone all the time and your career wants you to be a certain way. And in order to get titles, you have to act as something. You know, it's it's crazy. We live in a world that's always trying to uh, manipulate our identity. But I found my identity in Christ and uh, that was really powerful and peaceful. So in the false light space, there always tends to be some level of hierarchy and in our chain breaker service a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about how there's certainly an order of process of order and submission in God that is that is just and biblical. And then there's also a counterfeit version of that that I think the false light uses, right? Which is that kind of hierarchy, like, but now you've got to get to the next level, to the next level, right? This person's above you, that sort of perspective, which always makes you strive for more, right? You're always looking for something outside of yourself to keep reaching those new heights. And really, as you said before, kind of like achieve God, God-like status, right? Which yeah. to me is the ultimate hijack false light concept, which is like, you are God. You are not God. <laughs> like that's, that's yeah. one of the worst. It's one of the most disingenuous heart postures to have. And I think that's one of the ways that makes it really hard for God to get into your life because you're so busy trying to think of yourself as God. Yes. So when we look at this idea of kind of striving in hierarchy to try to achieve something versus what you just described where it's like, no, I just have to submit and actually stand. I don't actually, I don't have to go anywhere. I have to submit and stand. That is one of the most vulnerable experiences in this life. It's not like I have to do this process and control. This is like, I literally have to completely submit. So they're polar opposites. I wonder what was that process like for you of actually finally getting to the place where you had to truly submit and just stand? And was that hard for you either intellectually or emotionally to fully submit? Not necessarily. In the beginning, I was so on fire. I was like, he is the way I put up pictures of like he with the little, you know, like the sort of mouth opening emoji pointing towards he. And then I was on the other side, like, it's not about me. And I, I really embraced it. And I would talk about revelation and where this is the time that we're in right now. And I was very much like I found the truth. I think it really started hitting me when I realized that there were sacrifices that I got to make where I had to start. Like I went and actually like put some podcast interviews that I did back in the day that were getting hundreds of thousands of plays. I was putting them on private 
privacy and not knowing what to do with them. I'm like, hey, do I want people to be hearing this advice anymore? You know, and I'm still going through a purging process, looking back on some of them, like as I feel like, you know, I've, I, there's like a story that's told of who I was back there. And there are people that are coming into that entry point. Um, and then I, they come and connect with me. Then I can minister to them to come into the kingdom. So it's like a weird sort of journey. Some are back here, some are over here that are coming straight in on the face stuff. But I do remember feeling a sort of sense of responsibility to start making some bigger sacrifices. And uh, I think one of the biggest turning points for me when it came to repentance uh, first was I was speaking on stage at an event in Scottsdale, Arizona. I was having my experience with Christ. I was starting to watch sermons. Um, I hadn't announced to anybody that I was believing in God or I accepted Jesus and or at least exploring Jesus in my life at that time. And there was a room of over 300 something people. And I prayed for the first time before I got up to speak on stage. And I said, God, use me as a vessel. You know, these sort of things that people say because it sounds like great virtuous things. I'd never done that before, but I was like, this is kind of cool. Like, let's see what happens. I'll pray for God to use me as a vessel. So I get up and no real plan, prep, or structure. Usually I would plan, prep, and structure. But I got up and I went, I'm going to freestyle this, give it to God, put it in His hands, let's see what happens. So I get up and I'm speaking. I was edified at the start of the speech. As Joel, he's achieved all this success, the movies, the hundreds of millions of views, and the millions of followers, and the da-da-da-da-da. And I get up and I'm talking away, and I'm looking out in the audience, and I felt in my heart like something is going to come up. And I didn't know what it was. But I was willing to be open. Something's going to come up that is meant to be said in the room today for someone here or some people here. And there was a point where I was going into my story where I had met a guy called Jordan Belfort, the Wolf of Wall Street, right? Mm. Not Leonardo DiCaprio, but the original Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> the guy played <laughs> by Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. Yeah. So, so like 14 years back, I met him. I casted a 10 year vision for success. I achieved so much of it. I was like, yeah, manifestation and all this, you know, I thought I was like the creator of my universe and I could do all the things. But there was also a part of me that when I was writing things out, I didn't believe that I was worthy of it because I was carrying a lot of shame and guilt. And I remember going to church back then because my dad was playing in a band and I very much wasn't calling myself a Christian. then. I remember sitting in the pews in the church and I felt so dark, like dark as in I wasn't meant to be there. Why would God even love me and accept me? I heard the sermon, but it felt like it was just going through me and going out the other side. I didn't feel worthy of even receiving it. Everyone around me was being so nice. Oh, I haven't seen you in so many years, Joe, and like hugging and being sweet to me and everything. And I just felt like I wanted to get out of there. I didn't feel worthy. And Jordan Belfort said something. He said, you are not your past. You are the lessons and the resources that you glean from it. And so I realized that in order for me to write out this vision and really step into it, I needed to write a, my own self a permission slip. I couldn't wait for somebody else to give me permission, right? It's very much about me and what I wanted on the, on the vision. But after I had written the vision, gone to church, felt dark and all that, I realized there were things I got to let go of. And I was standing on this stage in Scottsdale, Arizona, and I looked out at the room and I said, when I was 18 years old, and I was like 26 at this time, I said, when I was 18 years old, I smoked crack. I had sex with prostitutes. I double dropped ecstasy pills at festivals. And I got so blind drunk one night, I said the most condescending and demeaning things to one of my best friends. And to this day, we still don't talk. 
And I had people that had flown out from diff- from Australia and that, that were there, my friends, that were sitting on the edge of the seat like, it literally just came out of me busy. And I'm standing and I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. I was like freaking out once I said it. I'm looking around the room and it was like a six second pause. It felt like forever when you're standing on stage, time go- changes, goes a bit different. I'm looking out the, the room and I'm just scanning the room. And I'm like thinking to myself, did I just say that? And I looked at everyone's like just sitting there and I, and I just looked and I said, I'm not perfect. I said, but at some point, you've got to let it go. You can't hold on to it. And then I, uh, I ended up finishing up at the event. I had it's, this is crazy. There was a woman that ran up to me. She was crying. She grabbed me around my waist. She's crying. I could. Feel, there were tears on the side of my shirt here. She's crying, crying, crying for a couple minutes. Just I just let her be in it. I said, Joel, thank you, thank you, thank you. I said, what? What is it? And she said. I, up until a few weeks ago, were, were, I was a heroin addict. She said, I felt like I was going to end my life. She said, I sold everything off. I'm living in my car right now. And she said, and I, I used the, the last bit of my money to come here to this event because somebody said that you got to be at this event. It, it will change your life. And she said, and I, I, this gives me hope that I can let go of my past. And here I am thinking, Man, if this was the, what came from this, this one person, this is amazing, right? And so I realized, okay, this power and vulnerability, right? Power and vulnerability with an audience of people where I mostly don't know them. There's a handful of people, but I feel safe with my friends because we share stuff with each other, right? I then uh, go back to LA. My mom knows some of the speakers at the event. With they, we, they've met before in Australia. My mom's like, Joe, Joe, I, I want to see the video of you guys speaking at the event. And here I am going, oh, yeah, 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 it's not out yet. And it was. It was out. I had it on a drive. It was ready. I could watch it. I said, yeah, it's not coming out. She asked me three times over the space of like two more weeks, oh, when's the video coming? I want to watch your speech. I I wish I was there. I'm like, mom, you know, there's this part. And I'm standing there in the bathroom on my phone. There's this part in the speech uh, where I said, uh, I said, uh, and I'm trying to say it busy. I'm like this. And I'm trying to say, it's not coming out. My whole body is locking up. And she said, Joel, what is it? And I said, I'm, tr- I'm trying to tell you, mom. She's like, what is it? I'm like, and I said, mom, I can't. I said, my body's locking up. She said, why? I said, I'm scared of what you're going to think about me. And she said, Joel, I love you. She said, I gave birth to you. You're my son. She said, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Like, I, I love you. So I shared. I said, yeah, there was a part where I shared this and I shared what I said, right? And she says, okay, after I said this. She says, well, I forgive you and I love you still. So oh, thanks, mom, you know, relief. She says, do you forgive yourself? I said, well, I said, I think I'm going through that process. And she said, did you go to God? Did you ask God to forgive you? And I said, no, not yet. And she said, you know what to do. You know, my mom's always been in my corner. Even when I pushed God away, she was always reminding me of the beauty of God and and the promise of Christ. And after I finished up that phone call, I threw up like seven times in the shower. I know it sounds a bit graphic, but I like literally was... I mean, if it was seven, that was probably a prophetic. (laughs) I didn't know what it was at the time. I was just like, I feel so sick. I was like, uh... And I literally felt like a cold flu effect 
and I passed out. I actually went and laid in bed and I passed out for something like 12 hours. I had like this really long sleep. I just felt so wrecked. But the next day I felt this liberating feeling of like something had come off me. And, you know, I had prayed to God after that too, praying to him in the showers and throwing up in. And I, and I realized, man, this is not that repentance has to be like that, but I'm like, man, this is the start of repentance here. And I had one more experience, if you don't mind me sharing this real quick. Please, yeah, go. Absolutely. I think story can teach principles quite well. And and so I uh, I shared with the girl that I was with at the time, we ended up falling apart. Um, she very much was strong feminist. Uh, she hated that I was starting to read the Bible. She was pushing back against it. She said, it's all the uh, patriarchy and all this stuff. And I was like, not having it. I, I you know, kept reading it. And she said, okay, I'll get into it. But she wasn't really genuine about it and then it just didn't happen and then i had a tour in australia so we ended our relationship i toured in australia i was in australia going through this sort of process of letting so many things go i was teaching branding and marketing which was great so i didn't feel sort of conflicted in what i was teaching it was very practical and straightforward and then i had a break in between my tour around australia where i was in the gold coast and i was in an apartment and I was listening to lots of sermons and I was getting in the word and I was listening to worship music and I just felt so good busy. I was like, man, this, this renewing feeling was amazing. I was like, how deep can I go and how wide can this get? And I remember standing there with a glass of green juice and I'm about five, six meters away. My laptop has been playing worship music on repeat, like just different ones. You know how YouTube kind of chooses it mm -hmm. for you, whatever's coming up next. And then this documentary started playing and I'm standing across the room. I'm like, walking around, drinking, like writing some stuff down. And then I could hear this documentary start. And I stood and I was standing there for about five minutes away from the laptop, five minutes back, watching this thing unfold on my screen. And it was about abortion. And it was very graphic, showing what happened in, in the womb when a child is aborted and, uh, and the effects of abortion and this person praying uh, over somebody and talking about this, this is a soul and a life. And when I was younger... My uh, ex at the time had two abortions and I didn't think anything really of it. Like I wasn't like for or against. I just, I was kind of apathetic about it. Uh, she really wanted the abortions. But in that moment busy, I put my glass down and I fell to my knees and I just wept. It was like this huge realization that went through my whole body. And I had realized the choices I had made. God revealed the choices that flashed before my eyes and I just wept it out. And I, I was, I'm like, I'm so sorry, God. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. Please change my way of thinking. Please, please bring me into your kingdom and, and, and please forgive me, you know, correct my steps. And they were two incredibly powerful moments in my life of understanding my need for God, not just the, the theoretical understanding, but giving him my soul and my body and giving him my wounds and my trauma and asking him to heal those wounds. A couple things you brought up, I think are important for people to take note of. So when we have wounds, the enemy can use these to control us, right? Yes. So essentially the enemy was able to use your guilt and shame about previous aspects of your life to manipulate you. So when we go through the process of calling them out and exposing them, we actually allow God to seal those spaces off and then we're not, we don't have any access points for the enemy anymore. So I think, cause I'm always looking at 
how something that is true can get twisted or counterfeit by false light. So an example of this would be in false light, there's very much like sharing circles, right? Where it's all about just like bearing it all, sharing everything. And I wonder if you've ever been in an experience like that, where there's this kind of almost peer pressure pull to like pour out all of your air quotes vulnerabilities, which from my perspective, I don't actually think that's being vulnerable. I think it's it's more like hot wiring some sort of emotional connection. Yeah. I wonder if you've ever found yourself in a scenario like that. And now that you've actually experienced what it's like to fully get something up and out of you and be sealed up and transformed, if you can maybe help us understand how to see the yeah. two distinct and separate, because I think people get, yeah. get deceived there. This is so good. I love these type of interviews. We're going deep. I love it. We're getting into the nitty gritty. Just kicking Thank off. You. That, yeah, yeah, I, I bet. Uh, yeah, incredible question. Um, I think in the new age circles that I was in, often it was always about doing the work, right? It's constantly work, 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 work. It's like you can never be conscious enough. Uh, everyone's trying to out-conscious each other. <laughs> someone, <laughs> someone back then said something, challenged me. It was actually quite funny. Uh, I can't remember if it was my, oh, what was it, my uncle or, or I know it was it was the partner I was with at the time. It was her father or her mother, and it was a long time ago. And it said like conscious, more conscious. Like, well, everybody's conscious. If you were unconscious, you'd be dead. <laughs> and I, I kind of laughed at that. I was like, that's true. You know, there's this sort of like deceptive, like you can reach this certain level in your life and you'll be, you know, the god of all gods, right? The king of all kings, which isn't true. That's only through Christ. Um, so. I do think that when you see sometimes people on social media that have like the snot bubbles going and the tears are like pouring out and they're like, oh, I had this wound and this break. I would always suggest, especially with my coaches that I train, I'm like, hey, if anything's going to come up for you, process first, share from a healed place. You know, it's not a performance, right? There's this sort of like performance vulnerability or, or like theatrical authenticity, I, I call it. Uh, and, and I think we've got to be careful with that because it's it, it it's, uh, doesn't feel genuine, to be honest. It's not really that genuine. How could and it I, be genuine if you're like, wait, 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 I've got to hit record. Yeah, you've got to hit record. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get into character. Get into state. Uh, yeah. So there's that aspect of it. And then, again, there are, are certain things in your life. That, that's just between you and God, right? There's what you bring to him in the throne room of heaven and lay at his feet. That's between you and him. Uh, there are things that are just between you and your mom or you and your dad. There's things that are between you and your friends. There are certain friends that I'll go to that I'll share because maybe I've developed a, 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 a sort of understanding of their journey and maybe I'm the best person to speak into it and vice versa. Maybe they're the best person to be able to shine some good light into it. I don't find myself having to go to those vulnerable places like I used to. And I think a lot of it has got to do with the fact that I don't hold the shame and guilt like I used to because I know that once God says forgiven, it's forgiven. And I don't go to him for forgiveness, sort of like in some religious systems. It's like you got to constantly, you go commit a murder, then you go and pray to the priest and it's done. I, I don't believe in that either because you're not inspired uh, to be obedient because you are in him. You're being obedient because you're scared and in fear. Uh, so for me, it's always about, really just laying it at the feet of Christ. Um, you know, I, I'm honest with my wife. I think honesty is a great currency in relationship that builds trust. And, the, you know, I don't relate to anybody else in a way that I relate to my wife. We have a very sacred and special relationship. 
uh, I have certain sacred things between God and I. You know, I have certain sacred things between me and uh, some of my, you know, clients as well. It's like, hey, that's just between you and I. Sometimes your clients, when you're coaching them, will only share something with you. Maybe they've never shared it with anybody else. That's how sacred it is. So I do believe that there is a sacredness that gets to be respected in that process. It doesn't always have to be spewing vulnerability everywhere for the sake of likes and engagement. I did a couple of posts on that that got some pushback because it's a a pretty common tactic right now. And I just wonder, especially when I find moms documenting their kids in those vulnerable moments. I think the very like maternal protector in me gets just completely enraged because it not only is it a violation of the child, but like you're supposed to be parenting, man. They're like, why would you decide to put on Instagram stories and be like, hold on, my child's having a breakdown. Let me record this for my followers. It just, to me, it's the epitome of being tied into worldly validation, which is the exact opposite of walking with Jesus, right? We, and I think this kind of doubles back to this idea of renewing the mind. When you do go through that process of truly renewing your mind and emerging a different person, right? A new, a new creation. What should happen, I would think as evidence of that emergence would be Things that you used to like, you don't like suddenly anymore. And you maybe can't understand why, but there's a sudden disgust or repulsion to certain things. And I think this is kind of what we were talking about with the rising up of conviction. And I know I can certainly speak to that in my life. I've had, I would say, I've had ebbs and flows in my walk with Jesus, but there are certainly moments where that conviction has risen up in me and has actually made me turn from leading a sinful life, right? Like I haven't, and I'm not here saying that people shouldn't drink, but it became very clear to me that I needed to never drink again. So I haven't drank in four years. It's like not even, to me, it wouldn't even be an option. It's not something I would ever consider. Even musical taste, because I think sometimes people don't realize how many different parts of daily life you can start to notice that conviction rise up. And for me, music was one of them. I was picking my kids up many years ago at it was just in the pickup line and this future song came on and I used to really like rap and I remember just listening to the lyrics for a couple of seconds and all of a sudden I had tears streaming down my face I'm like what what am I doing the song is about like gang rape and drugging people like how how did we get here as a society like Jesus help me right now I'm wondering when it comes to those kind of little prompts or cues from just culture and society, aside from the really big obvious ones, what are some things that you noticed with your taste changing or suddenly feeling convicted about something that you might not have previously noticed? Uh, Yeah, like a lot of the content that's put out by uh, new age circles, I I notice it straight away now because it's such a contrast. I think Satan's good at polishing and gold coating a turd, like <laughs> straight up, my my language. But you know, it, it, he does that. He polishes up things that are terrible uh, and gives them this sort of shiny object look, and people get distracted by it. Uh, I think I started to find myself not falling for the game that's being played as much. Um, I'd like to think that I'm pretty open-eyed about it. Maybe there's times where I'm not noticing it's happening, but I've gotten a lot better at understanding it. The more that I'm in the Word, the more it's revealed to me. Uh, And that's the cool thing about reading the Scriptures for yourself, right? Is that it reveals to you 
maybe something that you you were meant to understand at this point at you know i'm 36 and a half years old so it's like you're close to a half years old maybe like right now in my life there's something that i read in there if i read enough each day if i read you know four days a week or five or whatever it is there's something going to come across that will reveal to me the next thing i must know in order for me to become more regenerated back to who god originally designed me to be you know so when i look at the stuff that's put out online i often see it's pulling you away from the understanding of who God is calling you to be. And it's something as simple as my wife called this out. She left the new age and she made such a great statement. It's a great point. She said, you are not a goddess, right? She was calling out because she has a lot of women that follow her. And she's like, you are not a goddess. You're a woman and you have all these, you know, incredible things about you and so on, but you are not a goddess. If there was a man that walked around saying, I'm a God, I'm a God, you would say that's narcissistic then why do women do it, right? And it is. It is narcissistic. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah, it's it's, it's narcissistic spirituality. Uh, and people can be narcissistic even within their religion of Christianity or Islam or Judaism too. Uh, so I, I think it's realizing that when you have these sort of statements that are very relativistic, somebody said something recently. It's like um, all of it matters and none of it matters at once and it's like what does that mean it's so ambiguous like based off what if somebody had murdered your best friend or your mother or your children like does that matter right there are things that do matter there are some black and white things in the world like it's there are absolute truths so i do find there's a lot of confusing talk that's happening and i i see even christians making confusing talk because they don't know that they have new age inside their Bible verses that they share, they don't realize that they've wedged new age in between the paragraphs of their captions or they're, they're giving themselves over to it. And I think it's just truly because they're not in the word enough and they're not also allowing God to restore them back to who he originally designed them to be, because it'd be so evident because it is such a big contrast when you're there. So I just pray for everybody to come into that journey of realizing not just in realizing and understanding with their mind but actually embodying the original design of god and busy would you be open to me sharing the difference between god's original design and then please deviation mm -hmm. of and of sin yeah absolutely yeah so like god originally designed us to be a certain way would you agree with that yes right so he originally had the greatest plans for us not to harm us to prosper us right he had a great future for us we are his children then we have satan which means adversary the enemy that came along uh lied to eve and adam they believed the lie when you believe the lie lies believe breaks the circle of love and trust it creates a separator between us and god god then uh calls us to come back into obedience with him he sent his son christ as the remedy we could call him the lifeboat the lifeboat comes we're on a sinking ship which is this world and we get a choice whether we jump on the lifeboat or not you could even look at Christ as the remedy, and we have an infection in our society. You don't have to look that far to see that we have hopelessness, disease, sickness, loneliness, depression, evil, right? We have it. If, if you think that doesn't exist, you got to check yourself before you wreck yourself, right? And, and so what we have is we have what God originally intended for us. And if anybody's listening wants to know, like, what did God originally intend? You can read Genesis 1, 26 to 28. You can read Jeremiah 29, 11, right? It's all good things. When it comes to our identity, God created us to be made in his image and his likeness, right? So the positive effects that are going to come from that is healthy self-esteem and confidence. 
He created us for purpose. He created us to steward the earth and to glorify Him, right? And, and be a part of His forever family. So the positive effects that come from that is fulfillment and direction in life. Uh, he created us for community. Now, because He created us for community, we're designed for loving relationships and unity, which is deep connections and mutual support. Sounds great, right? Uh, he created us for peace, which is that He intended for us to have internal peace and tranquility. The positive effects of that is pretty self-explanatory. We have emotional stability and calmness. He created us for love, unconditional love and acceptance from God. Beautiful. That gives us secure attachment and a capacity to give and receive love. He created us for abundance. That is spiritual and material provision to fulfill God's plan. Not our own personal endeavors, but God's plan, right? And what this gives us as a positive effect is generosity, financial sufficiency, as in everything we need to be able to provide to fulfill God's purpose here on earth. It gives our life meaning. He also gives us freedom in His original design. Freedom to make choices under God's guidance. And the positive effects of that is responsible decision-making and autonomy and that liberation, that freedom with Him. And then the last thing is security. The assurance of God's uh, continual provision and protection is so powerful that we can build a trust in God and have resilience because we know we're loved by our Creator and protected by Him. Now, that's God's original design. All those things sound pretty great, right? Mm -hmm. So then if we look at like sin has entered the world, sin is the violation of purpose. It takes us out of our purpose. It's kind of like if you imagine because God gave Moses uh, the Ten Commandments, right? And that, that was like a call for us to have a guidance system. Uh, I refer to it in my new book that I'm writing right now. It's coming out soon. I refer to it as like God's secret recipe, like his incredible recipe to make the perfect meal, right? And then if you imagine sin, sin is like that rancid ingredient that goes into the recipe that destroys it and it tastes terrible and it's off and it's it's going to expire. It's just not going to work, right? And we often will either not add in the recipe that God's called us to or we've taken out the things that he's called us to as well. And so the distortion due to the violation of purpose affects our those areas that God created. So the first one I mentioned with God's original design is identity. So what happens when we start to allow this distortion and this violation of purpose, sin, to enter into our beautiful meal, our life, is that it creates confusion and lies about our self-worth with our identity. Now, the negative effects of confusion and lies about our self-worth is low self-esteem and we have an identity crisis, which is what's happening right now in the world, right? The other thing that happens is it distorts and affects our purpose. Now, instead of creating uh, this incredible stewardship and glorifying God, we become self-serving and sh we have short-sighted goals. This creates aimlessness and discontentment. That's the negative effects. When it comes to our community, we no longer are designed for loving relationships and unity if we're living in distortion of, of violation of purpose through sin. We now have division, conflict, and isolation. And this creates loneliness and strained relationships. When it comes to your peace, you don't have peace. You have anxiety, you have fear, and you have unrest. And that creates mental health issues and stress-related illnesses. When it comes to love, what God originally created us to be in, is it creates conditional love based on performance, right? It's like a transactional relationship. And this creates childhood trauma and feelings of never being good enough. When it comes to our what originally God originally created as abundance, it creates materialism and financial insecurity. 
And the negative effects of that is poverty and hoarding and debt that we live in, which creates more fear and stress. And then the last two things is the freedom. We don't have freedom. We have bondage to sin and addictive behaviors. So our addictions give us a loss of control. And then the last thing is security that God created for us. We don't have that anymore with the kingdom of Satan. We live in that in his family. We have insecurity and constant striving for safety. This creates fear, paranoia, and over control. And again, like stress is a fear of loss of control, right? So we just live in this spiral constantly in, in the kingdom of darkness. And God is constantly saying, hey, these two families aren't actually going to be together. Whether you like it or not, you've got to choose which family you're in. Here's my forever family with all the incredible things. But in order to actually be in the family, you've got to be restored back into the family environment. You've got to come back into who I've designed you to be because you can't bring this distortion into the home. It's not going to work. It taints the home and God won't have it. This brings a tough point for some people to hear and receive, which is there isn't really gray area. I know a lot of people, especially that have come out of false light, they're like, well, like maybe there's some gray area. I'm not saying that I'm telling you like this is the line between black and white because I think that every person has to do their work and lean into God to reveal where that line is. But this idea that there is no line and that there is kind of this large section of gray, I think is what ultimately Satan wants from us because it, it does make people confused. What family are you in? Like, I know I can answer that very clearly, but if a lot of people really sit with themselves and the way their lives are currently set up, like, can you look at yourself in the mirror and answer that question reassuredly? Like, I know I can, I'm fairly certain you could, but I think it's a question that some of our listeners might want to consider asking themselves because when we look at when people are, let's say, reading the Bible or going to church and maybe you're not, maybe you're not all that deep in it, right? You're just kind of, you're dipping, dipping toes in the water and you're, you're making an effort. When you are simultaneously allowing access to false light doctrine or false light teachers, what can happen is that the enemy can say, oh, well, this is similar enough to this. So it's just, it's, it, there's some truth in it, right? Like they took this from the Bible, therefore there's some truth in it. This is where I think the big deception is. A counterfeit is not the same thing as kind of taking a piece of truth from here and kind of moving it here. It's taking a, something that sounds true and really flipping it on its head to weaponize it against you. So I wonder how many people go through this process of like, well, you know, law of attraction, like I can see where this kind of lines up with biblical principle or like manifestation, I can see where this kind of lines up with biblical principle. I wonder if you've ever kind of done this bargaining in your journey and where you are with it now, because I think it's one of the more important paths for somebody to walk down to be assured that they know which one of those families that they're in and how they draw those lines. Yeah, that's a good, good point. Um, I do believe that. So here's the difference. I'm not a fan of law of attraction. I can see how like if you match a frequency of what it is that you desire, you can meet it. Like I get that from like a neuroscience perspective if you want to be practical about it. Mm -hmm. uh, there are certain frequencies. It can be measured like scientifically. It's like, oh, there's frequencies in this and that. Great. We get that. Uh, I know when I'm living in shame and guilt, I do have a lower frequency than if I was living in abundance and creation and peace and all that uh, for sure. And I can't expect to be able to even get like a client that wants to work with me if I'm a downer. If I'm sitting there like, oh, like this, they're probably not going to be inspired, right? We're not really 
sharing and exchanging a good energy exchange. It doesn't feel fair and the person will say, I'm going to work with somebody else. That's probably more inspiring. It feels like they could support me instead of dragging me down. Uh, you know, and the, obviously the higher your price point, they, they may think it's a bigger risk to, to invest in you. So yeah, I do believe there's to a degree frequency, but the law of attraction is taken out of context in so many ways. I actually personally know a couple of people that were in the film, even The Secret, uh, and they've shared with me their perspective. And one of them was actually very angry because when he shared a practical aspect of it, they completely cut that out and only had the sort of hippy-dippy, woo-woo, la-la stuff put in there. And he wasn't very happy about it, even though it gave him a lot of exposure. He's like, yeah, that's not what I actually believe. And I was pretty frustrated about that. And so I think this it's dangerous thinking to think that it's all just this and that's going to happen for me and I create my world. Well, no. Sometimes people will co could come up to you with a gun to your head and that could be the end of your life, right? Um, sometimes people get really sick and if you just try and think that you can just heal it all the time, maybe there's a reason why there's medical invention that must be in play. There's also miracles too. That could happen, right? We we're talking about the black and white thinking and I've come to a realization very recently and I, I'm still sort of developing with it and I'm still exploring it. But I think that, you know, in the new age space, this relativism is kind of like um, both and. It could be both this and that, da -da 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 -da, <laughs> right? Uh, but what you're talking about with like black and white thinking is it's either this or either that. It's either or thinking, right? Now, I think that in the world that we live in, unfortunately for a lot of people, it's either or. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's the, the, the line is drawn. Remember, Christ draws a sword in the sand here for us to say, here's a line, right? And I do think that God, if he wanted to, and I think he does to some degree, is he's both and. He's up here outside of time, space, matter. He's both end. If he on the cross represents um, mercy and grace, justice and love, peace and wrath, you know, like he can represent like multiples at once. He's so multi-layered and we can't put him in a box. He has specific commands and specific calls in our life that is, that is very much about the way that he wants it. And we as humans being like tiny little ants trying to understand a God, we don't even know who created God. We can't put him in a box, right? So I think that in our lifetime, the sooner you can come to an understanding that we it is an either or and that there are things that happen that we can't understand, but that doesn't mean that it's not either or, that it still can be either or the sooner you'll be able to come to the truth because it, in order to follow Christ, it requires an understanding and a belief and acceptance of absolute truth, right? Absolute truth is that there is one God. That's monotheistic. Now, the Christians, the Jews, and the Muslims believe that there's one God, right? Muslims call him Allah. The Jews refer to him as God, you know, Elohim. He's got, they got like you know, because you were you brought up in a Jewish environment, right? In mm -hmm. Judea, you know, there's like hundreds of names. Adonai, yeah. Adonai, yeah. Mm -hmm. Many, many, right? Uh, and descriptions around that too of like how they view him. And then there's, you know, God that we believe in Christianity and we believe Jesus is God. We believe in the Trinity. Uh, so again, we're looking at different perceptions now, right? So we have different perceptions. That doesn't change the truth. Just because you perceive something in a different way doesn't mean that it changes the truth of what it is. And again, I think relativism, that relativistic thinking is very dangerous and it actually brings us into more confusion. 
So I would say that for me, just to circle back around to that question you were asking before, I would say that when I accepted that there is absolute truth and I accepted that Jesus is the only way, I it actually dropped a lot of my relativistic thinking off the side of the cliff. And I think if, if anybody's listening to this right now, like if you're still in that, maybe you haven't fully accepted that Christ is the way and the only way. Because he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one uh, comes to the Father except through me. When he was on his knees in the Garden of Gethsemane, blood drop, droplets coming out of his head, stress levels high, having the full human experience, requesting from God, Father, if there's any way for me to pass from this bitter cup that I'm about to drink from, please let it be. And there wasn't. There was no other way. That shows you he had to go to the cross because there is no other way. There's no other system and there's no other way. That's pretty plain and clear. No one ever walked the earth sinless or rose from the dead like Christ. That's pretty black and white. You might not like that. You might think that that statement might be up for debate and it, sh it should be up for debate if it is true. Let's test it. But the evidence outweighs the opinions. And that might be a really good thing to prompt some of our listeners to do because listen i'm all for critical thinking there are some amazing books out there and researchers that have actually gone to try to disprove jesus's walk his last days and his resurrection it's nearly impossible to do so in fact most people that have set off on that journey to disprove it have come out on the other side of believers so i think if anything is a testament that should be right like i know i'm a stubborn person and if I'm going to really go into something, I ultimately just want the truth, which, yeah. you know, if that means that that disproves what I thought I was going for, like, great, I just want the truth. And I think a lot of these researchers that share their journey, it's really inspiring because we do know the human experience. We do know how easy it is for somebody to buckle under the weight of torture. And many of the people that were able to testify to what they witnessed never buckled under oh. severe intense torture i mean think about yourself would you pretty much say anything to get the torture to stop i think a lot of us probably would but when you've actually seen yeah. that and you've experienced it the fortitude that you would have would i mean it would be otherworldly right because you'd have that of all of us that are like god if you're real moment like they actually saw it that's why they're willing to die for it and be tortured for it yeah i had a, a guest of mine gia chacon on my podcast and she created a, a movement called March for the Martyrs. And uh, she said that uh, one in three people around the world that is persecuted are Christians and 80% uh, of those that are persecuted are, are uh, sorry, one out of three uh, people in the world, in the religious world are persecuted and 80% of them are Christians which is huge. It's like Christianity has never been this persecuted. And, you know, we can sit here in America and people be like, ah, you know, you, you guys have got it good. And it's true. We do. We really do. Uh, and, and Australia, where I'm from as well. But if you see what's happening in Africa and the Middle East and places in Asia, China, North Korea, you would think again. But it, I think the West, the West is so adverse to, to suffering because we do live a pretty comfortable life. I'm not saying that people can't experience suffering. It's just that we don't on a mass scale suffer as much as some people in other third world countries, right? And, and we sometimes write it, write it off as it's not that serious, but it actually is. 
you know, Gia's gone to these countries and actually sat with these people and she shared so many stories of persecution and like, there's a book called, um, uh, what's it called? It's called, uh, Fox. It's Fox and the Martyrs or something like that, but like, check it out. It's, it's accounts of people that have been persecuted even from the dark ages, from the early church, um, historical days all the way up until now. And it's insane. Like the stories that you hear and you see, and you know, I mentioned, on my latest post on Instagram, on my reels, that you would have just even like 50 to 60 years after Christ resurrected and ascended to heaven and said that he will send his comforter and and return in the the second coming. Uh, Around that time, you got to remember that Christianity wasn't necessarily established straight away. You know, everyone was teaching the way, which is what Christ taught. It wasn't until Romanism that came in with like legalism, they used lawyers and all that started injecting their sort of legalistic and we call it imposed law, imperial law sort of view uh, on the scriptures and on the teachings and in the churches uh, that we got this sort of twist which became Christianity as we know it today. So we're going to be careful of that because it can be very religious too. But what we found was that Nero at a time when Rome was going into massive immoral collapse because Rome eventually collapsed due to immorality, which is what I believe is happening in America right now. It's it's Mm -hmm. immorality. It's combusting from within. You can't blame other countries when the the fabric of your society is tearing at the seams because of the people that are in it. You know what I mean? Like we blame. We are the problem. Other countries have always mocked us, but I think other countries are mocking us for far different reasons these days than ever before. It's not for being like fast food, obese Americans. It's for all the woke ideologies that are literally tearing us apart from the insides. Exactly. So Rome essentially turned on the followers of the way and Nero commanded for the, the persecution of Christians because they had this sort of superstitious beliefs with their pagan gods that if their frog god or their goddess Ishtar or Nike or Hermes or whatever wasn't able to bless them and they were going through famines and plagues and illnesses and weather was out of control, climate change, (laughs) Mm -hmm. then they would blame uh, the Christian god was blocking their gods or was affecting their gods. Uh, or the Christians or the, the so-called the followers of the way weren't praying enough to their pagan gods as a community and society to be able to have favor from the gods. So they started persecuting Christians. But you'd have these these followers of the way that would, as we call them, like, you know, these martyrs quite willingly go to the stake uh, and would not denounce their beliefs in, in Christ. And they were singing worship songs burning at the stake in the Colosseum. They were fed to the lions and the tigers Um, You know, they were put up on what we call the human torch, uh, you know, stands down the streets and Nero was making an example of them, uh, having them burning alive every evening. So the others would be scared of Nero. And it's interesting to see how as a ripple effect, the gospel was being spread, whether he liked it or not. And this is the most worship belief system in the entire world today, over 2.2 billion Christians actually, well, people would subscribe and say they're Christian, whether they actually act like it or not is another story in itself. Uh, But there's something really powerful about that. You know, the Holy Spirit living in somebody, singing worship songs as they're burning alive. There were Romans in the Colosseum that were literally converting on the spot going, 
if that's the God they serve and that's what that God can do, I will convert. You know, I, and I often wonder too, if you ever read the story of Daniel, you know, when Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego was burning in the, in the furnace and the angel was there standing with them in the fire, protecting them. I always wondered if Nebuchadnezzar ever had that moment of clarity within himself to go, wait a minute. I think I'm a god. I'm, I'm, on, the wrong, I'm on the wrong side. Yeah. yeah, and he went he went mental because he wasn't accepting the truth. And I think what happens as well, busy in our society, is the more we deny the truth of something, the more crazy we get. It's it's just sort of a law in God's creation is that the, when you continue to reject the truth, it will sear your mind. It will create a great delusion in you. And it's in in the scriptures it said that God gave them over to to um, a reprobate mind. They had a reprobate mind, and God gave gave them over to a great delusion. It's not that God did that to them. He gave them over to it, meaning He stopped trying to guide and protect and protect them because they didn't want that from Him. And so, therefore, the repercussions and consequences was that they have a deluded mind. And look how many people have a deluded mind right now in this world. It's off the charts. It's absolutely off the charts. And there's one thing that I think might help us kind of close this out and likely break open a round two, because I think there's clearly <laughs> a round two. We both have so, to do round twos for each other on our Yeah, round twos for sure. Because there, I've already thought of like 10 topics that I've earmarked in my head that I would love to dissect with you. So I've been really focusing a lot on what originally made Satan fall. And I think one of the things that's really important, because I think we have to really learn this lesson because the wound for him is infused in all the ways that we're currently turning on ourselves as a society. There was a deep jealousy of us being made in God's creation, right? Satan's a heavenly being. Satan, up until the point that we were made from dust, has some level of pride in himself. Clearly, he was a prideful, a prideful heavenly being. And I think there's this moment when God makes us out of nothing in his image that he is disgusted with us. Like, what? You're going to care about that thing? That's going to be your prized possession? You're going to give dominion of the earth to that thing that you just made from dust? So there's this deep-seated hatred of who and what we are. And I think if you look at how a lot of these woke ideologies really infect the mind, it makes you turn on who you are. It makes you want to inject things into yourself, slice yourself open, cutting, suicidal ideation. To me, all of those are markers of the enemy working inside of you through thought forms, right? That is the only thing that really wants to destroy you to that level is Satan. So I don't know if you've had any experiences of this working with clients. What would you tie kind of that mind virus tied to Satan and, and how it is influencing us culturally at this point? And have you noticed yeah. that? Yeah, it's the nature of sin. It's I, I think, you know, because like, some people say Satan's like follow me around, Satan the devil. And it's like, yo, Satan, you think Satan's just solely aligned just his whole life mission just on you as an individual? Maybe, maybe, yeah. I mean, Job experienced Satan, that's for sure. Christ experienced him. Yeah, Joe, I mean, Satan asked for special wouldn't. permission on that one. He's yeah, like, exactly. May I break this man down? Yeah, right. And that's that was an insane, very unique experience. Uh, yeah, you know, I think that he has this very top-down effect. He uses governments. He uses religion as vehicles. Uh, I 
some people might not like to hear this, but I truly believe that the Vatican is very much a, a home place for the seed of Satan. I do believe uh, there are good Roman Catholic people that truly do love God. And I do believe that they're choosing from a place of all the things that God's calling them to. And, uh, you know, like you can't put God in a box. You can't even try and put Satan in a, in a, a small enough box because he's a wily fella, right? He's pretty sneaky. And he is very powerful. He's not powerful uh, under the authority of God. And we get to stand under the authority of God, which gives us that protection. I do believe that Satan operates in jurisdiction and uh, identity. That's the two ways he really attacks us through legality, not just in the real world, but also in the spiritual realm too. And identity is very simple is if you forget who you are or whose you are, you can easily be bought, you can easily be manipulated, you can easily fall, you can easily fall, uh, come to the other side, if you want to call it that. And that was what happened in the great fall. Like you, you were like, we're contending here with something that's greater than what's just happening on earth. And I think a lot of Christians forget that. Uh, and and I, we've, I've got a podcast called The Unknown God, and we go into this quite deeply. Pull a lot apart with my theologian co-host, Marcos Torres as well. And it's insane. And and if we look at it as like a like a bird's eye view of what's happening, even beyond like looking at heaven as well, <clears throat> that Lucifer was jealous. He was prideful. He wanted to do things his way. God essentially said, it's not going to work here, right? So there was a war of words, debates in heaven. There was a manipulation. Uh, he, You want to talk conspiracy theories? He was the greatest conspiracy theorist. He was whispering mm-hmm. <clears throat> conspiracies into other angels' ears, and a third of them were convinced, which shows that he was a pretty powerful figure in heaven. He was probably very liked, very charismatic, and held a high leadership position, as we know. Um, but what's happening here too, Busy, is when he was casted out of heaven, it's kind of like, imagine if you had like a home and you have your children, because you've got children, right? And there's probably plenty of listeners here that do... And you had like someone in your home that was just trying to take over the whole home, trying to infect it with destructive ideas and things that you just know is not going to send the family in a good way. And it's never happened that way, but this is going to just create a massive negative spiral effect. You're probably going to have to kick that child out of the house or that teen out of the house at some point and be like, you're going to have to work this one out yourself, buddy. I'm sorry to say, but like, there's no other way. You're not going to learn. Like, I'm going to have to let you go out with the freedom because I do love you to, to make that choice. And he's decided to do that. And he had his, maybe his favorite friends, brothers, whatever that was in that household as the third, third of the angels that went with him that thought maybe his way was a better way. And what happened when Christ died on the cross is that not just the world got to witness it and to also learn to love and trust Christ and to see that when Christ is, he can give us eternal life, <clears throat> that he will. The whole entire universe, far beyond earth and even heaven, is also witnessing the destruction of Satan to the nth degree with the perfect being that walked the earth, which is Christ. They saw Satan try and kill God. Now, we are having an earthly experience with our own governments. We created humanism, deism, communism, socialism, all of the isms that should have been wasms, right? And... What's happened is, is the, the best that we can do is democracy. And even that is built of distrust. It's whoever can like say whatever's popular, whoever can be a, a selected, probably not even elected anymore, just selected and rigged to get mm-hmm. in 
And then they don't even have to do what they said they were going to do. There's no trust. It's just build off popularity and it's rigged. So that's the best as we as humans can do as a governmental society, right? Crazy. And I truly believe God is allowing us to experience all this so that one day when we do go into his kingdom of heaven, we can say, God, you are right. We experience on earth what it was like to have Satan's government. And that is faulty and it's deceptive and it's destructive. And there is no, no good news at the end of it. And also not just us, but the rest of the universe can understand why God had to put sin and destruction to an end to, to bring justice in the universe. So we as believers sometimes think it's just about us, but there is something far greater going on in the universe on a cosmic level that God is reconciling the whole universe back to him. It's nuts, busy. When you put it that way and you look at it like that, it's nuts. So this top-down effect is what we're feeling in the fishbowl right now. And it's like a compression chamber of it, obviously, because it's a tighter space. But in the universe, there's lessons being learned about how Satan is running his government too. The, the difference is we have a choice. Satan's already gone past his choice. Yeah, he's and just so trying he's to very run, angry run time out. He, he's very angry and he wants as many people in his dysfunctional family as he can. He doesn't want us to bring in the forever family because he hates the fact that God gave us a choice. But really, we didn't have a choice necessarily in the beginning because we came from original sin. Our ancestors chose but again i would ask you at some point all of us would have sinned too at some point we all would have chosen that's what shapes our character some guy asked me in a debate what kind of sick joke is this that god would put a tree in the middle of the garden of eden and said the two trees and said oh you got to pick or choose and then when they chose the wrong one they they now come under pain and 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 you know problems and i said if god didn't give us a choice it wouldn't shape our character. We would be either a slave or a machine to God. We wouldn't be free will human beings that have a choice. What a beautiful thing that he's given us the choice to choose. And even though this life can be hard and it's confusing sometimes, he has a plan for us to come into his kingdom anyway. Eternal, eternity is much longer than this tiny little thing that we operate in here on earth. Like, and he wants us to keep focusing on the fact that we have that but just try not to misstep along the way while we're here because it's not worth it. Give it back to him, the one who's walked the path successfully before like no one else has. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think this idea of, of choice is so important because it does ultimately reveal the posture of your heart. Without that, and I've definitely taught about this, God doesn't want us to love God just out of fear or reflex, right? He wants us to choose him and we have to have free will to be able to reveal our character, right? Choice both generates character, but also reveals existing character. And I think that is ultimately why God set this up the way that he did. And one of the most beautiful things I think is that I love that God was willing to put himself through that test, right? Like not only is he making us do it, right? To reveal our character. I I love that he wanted to actually see like, okay, am I trying to hold them to a standard that I would would crumple at? And we see that when Jesus is being tempted, right? He, he doesn't fall victim to the temptation, but it's not that it's easy, right? There are multiple moments where you can see even for God coming to earth in Jesus, it's not without effort. Right. Like, so I love that we have a God that is willing to walk the talk. I always remember back to PE teachers that'll be sitting there like barking orders at you. And you're like, all right, buddy, like, go have another double whopper. Like you can't do crunches at all. Right. Yeah. Stop telling me what to do. I love that God 
is always willing to do what he's asking us to do in some capacity to make sure that it's just, right? Because ultimately, to determine if something is just and fair, you have to be willing to put yourself through the same. Absolutely. And and the truth is, like, let's say we cross the great divide, Christ returns, we're standing before him, right? If we didn't stand before Christ as an actual being, you know, because when he resurrected and ascended, we're going to see Christ as a being as we know him. As he's described, he might look a little bit different to what everybody thinks he might look like as we see all these different versions of pictures of him, right? Uh, but we're going to be standing before him. But imagine if we didn't. Imagine if we stood before God, as in God, the whole entire entity of who created all of this, right? If we could do that, I'm not sure. We haven't quite sussed the whole thing out yet, right? And we will have more answers in time. But imagine if you just stood before God with no Jesus. You could quite easily say to God, you're unfair, God. You didn't experience what I experienced here on earth. How unfair of you that you sent my cousin or my sister or my mom or my auntie to, to hell. As in the sense of departed from love, right? And not being mm-hmm. in the presence of God. By default, if God is love, being departed of God is hell. Weeping of gnashing your teeth is falling to your knees and realizing all the times you could have chosen, you've rejected God and all that. Imagine like gnashing your teeth, the tears and the sorrow and all that, right? But that wouldn't be fair. That's why we have Christ as a mediator. That's why when we stand before Jesus, we are without excuse because Jesus, you can't say, Jesus, you don't know what it's like to suffer. It's like, man, I had the ultimate suffering on the cross. You don't know what it's like to lose a friend. Yes, I know what it was like to lose Lazarus, right? You don't know what it's like to see the suffering. Yes, I healed the lame and the sick, right? You don't know what it's like to be betrayed. Yes, I do. My disciples betrayed me. Judas betrayed me. They ran. The disciples ran away. Right, I was questioned, I was judged, I was spat on, and all these things. So we are so blessed that God, God came down the mountain to meet with us, to break bread with us, to commune with us, because this shows true love. It shows that when He says He's going to do something, He actually did it. How could we love and trust somebody that just says words but doesn't show actions? Love to Him is a verb, not just a noun, right? And like, imagine if you had a partner. Or anybody that's listening or watching this right now, you had a partner that held a gun to your head and said, tell me you love me. If you said, yeah, I love you, is that coming from a place of genuine love? Or are you saying it because you're so scared? This is what often religion teaches you about God. You have to work your way. You have to walk up the mountain with works and, and, and all the rituals to win the love of God so you can appease Him. It's a very paganistic view of God, right? Mm-hmm. It's the opposite of God. God says, man, I'm, I love you so much. I came down the mountain, incarnate into a human flesh body, dwelt amongst you as one of the lowliest, like walking around barefoot, like, you know, sleeping sleeping out in the nature and had next to nothing. What did Jesus have? What materials did he have? No one can pin anything to it. He didn't have a fancy cart or a horse that he walked around with. He didn't have swords that he carried rings that he wore, none of that. It was just him, live in the flesh, giving himself over for us. And that's that's the most beautiful love story in, in the whole entire universe. It truly is. I want to close off with a couple rapid-fire questions. They're not going to be easy. Shoot. Let's go. I'm going to bust these out right away. <laughs> are aliens real? Go. Yeah. Aliens are real. They're from another planet, another part of the universe. Uh, do they look like ETs? I, I really don't think they do. I think there are other beings in the universe. 
but I do also believe that uh, we as humans are existing away from all of that because we're having our own experience with God. I think aliens coming down in the sense of ET looking things are interfering with our experience we're having with God. So I just don't see it happening in a lifetime. I do believe that demonic activity can be experienced as alien experience. And I do believe that there could be a possibility that maybe one day Satan in his great deception could even uh, have, you know, we have project blue bean or blue bean that can do holographics in the sky of fake alien invasions. And, and I actually thought about this. I was like, Hey, what if one day through, you know, Satan performing miracles and walking the earth. And by the way, the true return of Jesus is his feet never touches the ground. Satan's does. So when he mimics and pretends to be Jesus walking around, a lot of Jews are going to be very misguided and think that that's mm-hmm. the Messiah when it's not. A lot of other religions too are going to think that too because they're waiting on a Messiah as well, a lot of them. But I, it wouldn't surprise me if he was performing miracles, signs and wonders, you know, fire from the heavens and all this. People are getting misguided. The whole world is going to follow him with awe. Uh, and, and then we're told lies. Oh, actually, you were all brought here by aliens and we've come here with this secret knowledge. Oh, yeah, Job going off in the chariot. Uh, that was actually a UFO. Uh, not Job, um, Elijah going off in the chariot. That was actually mm-hmm. a UFO spaceship. That's what it was written about. The Bible's not all true. They were just stories. How many people in this world would, would wonder after that beast and believe it? You know, because we're, so, we're built to have to try and see things to believe it. And that's going to be an ultimate test for anybody that's here on earth when something like that happens. I don't know. It's a theory for now, but I'm like, hey, you never know. I mean, the disclosures and that happened last out. week definitely hint in that direction. Well, well, I checked it. Check this out. Imagine this. How else would you get the whole world to unite for the common good? You Let's couldn't. get everybody together because there's going to be an alien. Att- We've come here to warn you that there is this extraterrestrial coming. And we must protect this planet. Everybody must combine together. Anybody that's not following this or orders or coming into our religious system or our one world system is against us. Mm-hmm. Great way to turn on the remnant of Christ, right? There's an extraterrestrial coming. Yeah, there is an alien coming. It's somebody from another planet. It's called heaven. And it's Christ coming to return. And, the, and it, the, he's going to try his ultimate attack to turn humanity on Christ. I can see that. How, can you see that happening? Oh, yeah, I can totally see it. Okay. Just a theory, guys. Don't don't just take it as gospel. Just hey. just a theory, but be open to it because yeah. up I until a few weeks happen. ago, I mean, now it, I feel like it's already starting to unfold in a very three dimensional way. Just the the closed Senate hearing where it's like, I, so are you saying that there were non human bodies uh, piloting this crab? And he's like, um, yes. <laughs> oh, and they're very they're very shy aliens, aren't they? How come they're never showing themselves? I saw a video of a guy saying that the other day. He's like. How come aliens are so shy? How can we never actually see the actual bodies of it? So there's also deep fake. There's also AI. There's Project Bluebeam. So I think we're going to get some pretty gnarly, like deceptive, confusing BS stuff that's going to be out there. The fact that people could shoot a video of like Biden or Tom Cruise or Brad Pitt, you don't even know if it's actually that person saying it. And people can even grab this YouTube video or podcast audio and actually use our voices Man, people are going to be in big trouble. I mean, my stuff's already out there, so I've just I just have to trust yeah, them. Do I get my twisted? Crazy, hey? Super crazy. Uh, next question is: What role do you think Satan plays in AI and transhumanism, if any? Okay. Damn, you got some big bullets on this one. Yeah, yeah uh, rapid, rapid fire, but you know. Not I think simple. I think yeah. Let's let's because we're kind of going with the whole like alien cosmic theme. I think that. 
uh, again, it's another tool. It's just another vehicle that's created that Satan can ride on. I think in the pre-Diluvian stage before the flood, there was very advanced technology. I think that this isn't his first rodeo. He's probably improving on it even more, and I think he's going to harness it very quickly. Uh, and I think a lot of people that have given themselves over to it uh, will use it for evil. And I think people that are good um, could use it for good too. I think that there's a faster way for us to interpret and understand the Bible as long as it's not tempered and changed as well. Maybe it could be sending us off track at some point. Um, I, I think it's a good research tool with AI, but I also think that Satan is very jealous. And I think that again, he's uh, not a creative person in the sense that he can create something from nothing. He uses what God's already created and manipulates it and adds to it and twists it and distorts it. He never can create from scratch. And that must really frustrate him. And I think what he's trying to do is he's trying to, at this point, mimic the Holy Spirit because he can't create the Holy Spirit. Yes, and I think that true. he may use, you know, we've got satellite systems all around the world now. And I think that he, him having everybody connected to their phones and I think him having everybody's accounts lo like locked into like, a, you know, Elon Musk once has created X app. He's changed Twitter to X and he wants crypto and bank accounts and personal profiles and IDs in it. Why people think that Elon Musk is the good guy is just yeah, it's, it's crazy. But but here's what I'm thinking too is like, you know, like God can be everywhere and anywhere and he can have the Holy Spirit dwell in us. Um, and that's part of our ID, right? The Holy Spirit restores us. He helps us with our who we identify with and who we identify for. We are children of God. We are in him. We're his. And we are who he says we are in him. Uh, I do think that Satan's mimicking with satellite connections, internet connections, AI, linked accounts to try and have that sort of Holy Spirit effect. But it's never, never anything like the Holy Spirit, but it keeps an eye on us and it keeps us tracked and it keeps us in a, it's like a sort of a faulty version of trying to mimic the Holy Spirit worldwide. And he's doing a pretty good job at it. So anyway, yes. that's my thought. <laughs> People are definitely deceived. I think spending time learning how to discern counterfeits is probably the most important thing to do at this stage of the game, right? Like okay, learning more, really more how important. to tell when something is just enough of the truth, but also a slight inversion, right? Because Satan can copy or he can invert, but those are basically the only two functions. So learning how to discern counterfeiting is, I think, critical to walking in integrity with, with God. And obviously Holy Spirit is able to reveal that, but certainly our emotional wounds can allow places where we can be deceived even if we're still walking with yeah. Holy Spirit. And, and, and in that case then, like learn the true character of God. And if you want to know mm -hmm. the true character of God, just look at Jesus. Jesus yeah. shows you who the true character of God is. And if you understand the true character of God through Jesus, and then you start looking at your life and go, would Jesus do that? If it's a no, don't do it. If Jesus I used to make fun of that bracelet so much growing up as a Jewish kid on the East Coast. Like, what would Jesus what do? What would Jesus do bracelets? Yeah. Lame. And now often I'm like, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? Yeah. WWJD. Um, yeah, it just goes to show that you can really, you can 180. I fully 180. I would have definitely mocked that bracelet most That's of fine. my life. Yeah, I would have to. My life. would have to. Give us a, a closing bit of what is one area of your life that you're really focused on right now that pours into or nourishes all the rest? Like if you had to highlight one area where it's like, I just, as long as I pour into this, everything else gets filled. What is the this? 
Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I used to laugh at the whole happy wife, happy life statement, but I truly believe it. Like, Mm -hmm. I think as a man, I want to see my wife happy. Um, And I used to be scared to say that because I think I was with the wrong people. I know I was with the wrong people and I didn't feel like I could give my heart over to that person. And I was scared. I was like, I got to be a man. I can't, you know, with her, you know, I want her to be happy. I want her to feel protected, provided for. All the biblical traditional things of like the man being under Christ and the authority of Christ and leading his wife, um, that that fills my cup, knowing that she's she's happy and she's centered and she's good and she feels provided and protected for. Uh, I'm writing my book right now. I'm nearly finished with it. You know, you mentioned something. I'm actually, I've explored this a lot more and I've put some of it in my book on Kairos and uh, Kronos and Kiros time. And it's amazing because it lines with like God's purpose and everything for our life that I'm writing about in the book. So thank you for that. That was really cool. I, I explored a little bit more of that and was able to give a better supporting um, thing. And and that's like what I'm noticing now, just in exploring it and not just writing about it, but also realizing the times where that was playing out in my life and also paying more attention to that. And, and I'm noticing myself feeling excited about how I can serve for his kingdom uh, more at his pace and trusting. Uh, so they're the things that I feel like I'm putting more of my time, energy and focus into is uh, just like really nurturing my relationship with my wife, my relationship with God and creating for his kingdom. If you had said ice baths, I would have kicked you off the show. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that feels so like elementary and foundational sort of. You know what's just life changing, man? I just I got this trough and I put ice in it, man. Lord help us all. I'm not saying don't take an ice bath, but priorities, man, priorities. And this is why my hypothesis is that the first group to get taken down by AI will be the biohackers. But I'll leave a pin in that. They're going to be so addicted to, you know, feedback from their devices that they're going to end up accidentally becoming robots. That's my hypothesis. That is fun. Thank you so much for coming on the show. You're a delightful human being. Your, Your knowledge is apparent in every word that you speak. So grateful to have you here sharing that gift with all of our listeners. Where can everybody find you, contact you? You know, what, how can they best connect with everything that you have to offer? Yeah, so if you want to jump in to some weekly coaching, uh, we have a live group uh, just over Zoom throughout All Bliss community. I have uh, 40 different workshops in there that are biblical, principle-based, personal development-based, practical personal development, none of the new agey stuff. Uh, Workshops that are in there, uh, you can go to allbliss.com. That's A-W-E-B-L-I-S-S.com. I I don't know if you can see the sign behind me, All Mm -hmm. Bliss. How to be awesome in God and live a blissful life. Bliss means uh, to experience joy in a heavenly state. Paul talks about uh, this this element of bliss in the uh, New Testament as well. And and I truly believe that. It's not that we live in a life of pure joy all the time. It's that life just becomes so much better knowing that you're 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 part of eternity with God and his forever family. So yeah, uh, allbliss.com. I also created a, a quiz, which is it's getting amazing feedback on how to discover your biblical personality type. Ooh, uh, so I got to send that to my husband. <laughs> it'd be interesting to see what he gets. It's cool. I've had so many people take take it now. I just launched it like three days ago. 
and they're like, hey, and they're sending me screenshots of who they got, and they're like, thank you, because I give a breakdown on strengths, areas to improve on versus um, just so, like sort of questions to reflect on when it comes to that character. I think what it's doing is it's deepening the meaning of the biblical figures in the book for people, and I think people are also starting to realize that are non-believers that are taking it or new to the kingdom are, are realizing like, hey, there's so much depth in this book. I can actually learn from the life of these characters and see how God has called them. Maybe I play a part with my strengths in this way too. Uh, so it's it, it's got an amazing response. Uh, so you go to orbliss.com slash faith quiz. I also registered faithquiz.com. So, you know, by the time that was available, get I couldn't believe it. It's like it's meant to be. You know? That's when you know it's meant to be. I've I've had some of those on GoDaddy where I'm like, for real? <laughs> Lock it in for 10 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I bought domains for like $3,000 in the past like because I really wanted it. So, you know, for this to, to be available for like 10 bucks, I was like, I'm getting Faithquiz.com. That's yeah, wild. Crazy. crazy That's right? wild. Uh, so there's that. And then my book's coming out. I don't know when you're going to publish this interview, uh, but it should be out in the next, next Thursday. We can hop. Okay, so maybe just a few days after it comes out, it should be out on Amazon. I'm doing pre-order as well. I'm going to make it 99 cents for my immediate community. Would love a rating and a review. That helps for the book. So we'll, just we'll add it on to the show notes for sure yeah, so people thanks. can go check it out and be sure to leave him a, a review. Five star. Five stars only, please. There you go. Any. That's it. Thank you. Uh, so, yeah, and, and it's called God's Forgotten Path to Purpose. Mm -hmm. uh, how to Realize God's Plan for Your Life. That's the subtitle for it. And, uh, you know, I broke down God's original design and then the deviation of sin, the, the violation of purpose. And I've got a whole table in there that you can have a look at to really just even just like weigh it up for yourself and see how has, has sin been affecting my life and like how is it taking me away from God's original design. I, tons of my students and, and clients have said it's been a really helpful table to refer to. They go back to once a week or once every you know few days and, and they're like wow okay here's some things i can change because i don't want to experience the consequences of that you know so it's a good guiding system to understand and then they can go you know do do the deep word with god to be able to find the passages that relate to how they can make that change as well so yeah it's a lot of juicy stuff in there it's my life's work so far that i put into this book i got lots of stories and analogies and metaphors i use too so it like keeps it it's kind of like it takes you on a journey throughout the book. It's sort of like a sli like slash fable slash actionable coaching book as well. Very exciting. I'm definitely going to check it out. I know my husband will as well. And I just want to leave people with a reminder because I know some people in general are triggered by the word sin. I mean, I get it. I definitely Violation have parts of my life. Right? So I love that you bring that depth of understanding and almost like a, a, a more expansive definition of it. And I just want to remind everybody that culture is meant to make us look highly upon sin, right? Like actually put sin up on a pedestal and kind of like wash it away and make it seem either worthy or somehow justifiable. So you might have to kind of go through a little bit of layers as you're going into exploration like this and meet... Yeah the resistance of how culture has programmed you to excuse something, right? And like what just came back around was the experience that you had with abortion that I've definitely had something similar where it's like something that culture's always just been like, oh, psh, women, women, their body, their choice, right? Which is just kind of like this thing that you're taught to parrot. Suddenly you can hit a point where all of a sudden you're, you feel that conviction. You're like, oh, wait, but if I really, if I really 
step back and I think about it, that doesn't actually make any sense. I just want to encourage people to move into that resistance because there's probably a, a serious process of unwinding that will occur when you start to look at it the way Joel is teaching you to look at it because you have been programmed to like sin or think that it's normal. <gasps> normal. Yeah, it's carnal. It's the carnal. It's in normal. our nature. It's in our nature. And that's the thing. You know, again, we're fighting with our flesh all the time. I think the more that you trust God, give it over to him. It's not to say that all your fleshly desires are going to leave you. I think, um, what is it? Paul was praying on that thorn in his side to leave him. And God's like, no, like we're going to keep it here. You need it. It's like a, it's a humbling, uh, you know, accessory sometimes uh, for the sake of like, hey, I need God too. Because if everything was all good, like think of all the times where you've had such a good life. You, so many people don't go and celebrate and praise God in their, in their good. They run to him when they're feeling the pain. No, they blame him when they go through tough times. You know, recently we lost our daughter, our baby daughter, right? You know this, we talked about it. Um, sh she passed away a couple of days before she was delivered and we held her in our arms, you know, and and don't get me wrong, I was wrestling with God. Uh, and I said to my wife, it is interesting how we can blame him, you know, blame God, but do we praise him when things are good too? Because sometimes we forget that. So yeah, we live in a world that where there is a contrast and uh, it's constantly little bumpers and parameters to see where we are. Sin, again, is a violation of purpose that takes us out of it. Sometimes I'll talk with somebody and I'll ask them, like, hey, what are you struggling with? And some people are like, oh, I'm doing really well. I'm crushing my business. They may not necessarily feel enough pain yet to realize that they've got to come out of that sin that they're in because they don't feel like they need to praise God or even repent. So, so I just like I still, you know, I love them. I'm there by their side if they need, you know, questions answered. But maybe at a point in their life, they're actually going to feel an emptiness like I did. That's why I have grace for people in their journey. You never know. Like, man, if nobody, if Tanil never prayed for me, would I be here today? If my grandma and my mom didn't pray like relentlessly on my life for all of my teenage years and my early 20s, like would I have been here today? I don't know. By the grace of God, he gave it to me as a gift. What a gift to be given. Don't reject it. There's no other words after that. I'll see you all next time. Joel, you're awesome. Thanks for being on. Thanks a million. Thank you.